What is the Bible? How is it relevant? What about the Old Testament? How do I read things that are weird and talk about violence? And is God behind those things? Hey, we're going to talk about that today in our episode. David Rubelid here. And this is Zach Zianka. And we're here to chat. We thought it would be fun to talk about some of the conversation that is going on right now around um, the Bible and how do we handle it. And um, a lot of churches are striving for relevance. And there's some trip-ups a lot of times when you talk to people who are far from faith. Um, there's just some things that are really hard to wrestle with. And um, to be honest with you, a lot of Christians um, kind of avoid that or some of the terminology these days is unhitched from that. So we just thought we would talk a little bit about the Bible and kind of what that means for Christians here in 2018. Yeah, we, we know that, you know, as, as Christians, we, we push people to, to read the Bible, to spend time in Scripture. Uh, but we often don't tell them the best way to read it or the best way to go about it, the best way to understand it. And so we ask, ask people, hey, here's this book. Here's, yep, here's a bunch of books, actually. Go and read this. And then they get confused once they get to Leviticus or um, get tripped up by things in the Old Testament, especially. And so we just want to talk about what's the Bible? How should we read it? How should we uh, go about the things that are confusing, the things that are weird, the things that are really violent and kind of gross most of the time, um, and try to lend some clarity to just the weirdness of this book. So I, I was raised in church, and one of the common things, you know, it was often talked about, it was called the Word of God, and, you know, it was it was um, the way God talked to us. And even, you know, in evangelical circles that, you know, it's, it's been softened up, God's love letter. And um, we tend to talk about the Bible um, when I hold it, and I, I'm holding the Bible in my hand right now, we tend to talk about it as, as if it's this one thing that like just kind of came down from heaven and just kind of plopped on our laps and that we read it and that we either just obey it without question. Um, but there's a lot more to it. So let me ask you, Zach, according to kind of when you approach the Bible, when you're talking to somebody who might not know anything about the Bible, how do you explain what the Bible is? Yeah, um, I think so. I grew up similar to like the the basic instructions before leaving Earth idea of it, that there are um, directions in here, clear things to, to teach you how to live, moral lessons. Um I think uh, Tim Mackey, he puts it really well. He says a lot of people view the Bible as a devotional grab bag. Of I'm going to flip to some page and, and some wisdom is going to come out from here. And then you read like numbers and you're wait, what? What, is, what do I get from here? Um, so I think the, the way we understand the Bible is, is first seeing it as a story, um, something that's unified uh, and, and it's something that's a, a narrative that this is guiding us through God's people and how they've related to him and um, how God is working to restore this world, his plans. And we're seeing that through different reflections from people. So whether that's a reflection through poetry or a reflection on a historical event that happened and, and how God was involved in that. Um, so I think it starts with seeing it as something that is unified as a story. 
And it tells us that in different genres and different ways and different people from all different walks of life and different backgrounds. And um, rather than kind of this staunch, just here's some doctrine or um, here's some great devotions, here's some great wisdom that there's a lot packed in here. And um, sometimes it's helpful to, to yes, see it as, as unified, but also it's also 66 books like Mm -hmm. that are written by different people and that are poetry and narrative and, and all these different things rather than just here's how to read the Bible. You almost have to say, here's how to read this book of the Bible and this person's thoughts in the Bible. So hanging on the idea of narrative, then we all know when we've seen movies or read books, there are certain elements that a good story or a good narrative holds. Explain to me what some of those elements and some of that elements and some of the rhythms of the story that it's trying to convey are and how they kind of tell that story. Yeah. Um, so I think first I was, you know, there's been this article that's searching going around online um, about the, I think it's the CEO of Amazon and he, you know, it's this whole idea of people, people respond to stories more than just like bullet point presentations of stuff. So, uh, and that's often how we present the Bible is, Hey, here's this, truth on sin or here's this doctrine on humanity and those can be helpful but our bible's not written like that it's it's written as a story and um i think the way that it's it's helpful for us is it invites us into that and invites us into we're part of this story um and god has been working through humans and our mess ups and the bible isn't afraid to show that and it isn't trying to tell us a, a moral lesson through a character because they're really flawed most of the times. Um, but it's telling us how God is working through all this um, when there's been sin, when there's these mess-ups, the story is moving along. Hey, how is God going to fix this? And then we get to Jesus, and this is how God is is doing this. This is how he is fixing the problem and bringing life and bringing freedom into our world. And so we follow that story and, and we're invited into this, this life with God. This, um, this, this following with Jesus is a part of this story that people have been living out for, for years now. Awesome. And when we get to Jesus, when we get to, well, I'll, I'll call it the, the gospels, the start of the new Testament, we have a tendency to to see it as if God is doing something totally different than he did in the Old Testament. Or we tend to see it as if it's kind of different characteristics of God. Uh, we tend to see it as if, hey, what happened in the past, God was angry, violent, wrath-filled, expecting perfection. But all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and all of a sudden... There's this grace extended, and here's this hippie, you know, um, with a different way of explaining life. Um, talk a little bit about the Old Testament and the differences that it seems or there's a perception about when it comes to the New Testament. Yeah, um, I don't think it takes, you know, too much reading of the Old and New Testament to to start to get a sense that uh, something feels different, like God seems different. Like the Old Testament, he's he seems to be really bent on violence, bent on solving things that way. Um, and then he gets, yeah, you get to the New Testament, and Jesus is love your enemy, and it, it's like oh, what God like went to like a liberal school and suddenly became really, <laughs> really peace loving and kind of cooled out for a little bit. Um, and so I think 
man, I think a part of it is we, we acknowledge the differences. I think we're really bad at like admitting that there are weird parts and there are times where, yeah, God does seem different. Sometimes we just shut it down and say, well, like God is both. He's both really, you know, can be really angry and, and violent, but he's also, pe-. and you're like, but that, that doesn't make sense, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think it's okay for us to say there are moments where God does seem different in the old and the new. Um, and working to understand God better through the lens of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for us, we've been given, you know, this bigger picture of God through Jesus. Um, he is the full radiance, as the New Testament will say, mm-hmm. of God. He's the, the perfect image. You, you see me, you see the Father. And so everything Jesus does tells us who God is. Everything Jesus says tells us this is who God is. So then when we go into our Old Testament and we're like, well, that doesn't seem to match up with God or that seems a little different. I think we're, we're in a good spot to wrestle with it, to not attach it and say, well, that's also who God is because um, just because it's in the Old Testament. Um, I think we're allowed to um, take those portrayals of God that seem off in the Old Testament compared to Jesus and, and allow ourselves to, to recognize the human nature of the Bible and recognize that these are human authors and they have a depiction of God. You know, um, as, as Hebrew says, like the Old Testament is like kind of this shadowy uh, depiction of God. There's some things that are right on with it and there's some things that are, are missing a picture of God. And that's not to say that the Old Testament is not true. It's to say that, that they are missing out. I mean, that's the beauty of who Jesus is, is that we get the big picture of God. Yep, yep. I've noticed, um, you know, one of the things I've noticed is is a common practice today when we study the Bible, whether it's being preached from a platform or we enter a Bible study. I tend to think that we enter it with um, questions in an improper order. So we have such a desire, and it's not a wrong desire, and I think it's a it's it's properly placed. It's just improperly played out for relevance Mm. and so when we when we enter a passage our first question is always well what does this mean for me yeah and so the thing about a lot of jesus's teachings is they're so quick to be practical so quick to be relevant and what i've found is that some of the harder things to chew on in the old testament you have to put in some work and sometimes there's not even resolve in that work. Um, but what I've, what I've found is that, that as I do that or have that conversation with people, a lot of people are scared to do that. You made a, a few statements about the humanness of yeah. the Old Testament, and the humanness of the authors. And I've found on a couple of occasions as I've kind of taught hermeneutics to people and how to read the Bible and how to interpret it and just best practices in that a lot of people are scared of it because they're scared that it'll bring up more questions. Mm. They're scared that what they were taught to believe might not be true and that it might take them down a rabbit hole of a lot more questioning of what the Bible is. Um, What are some of the things when we approach... Uh, something tough in the Old Testament to understand. 
what are some of the questions or some of the um, ways in which we could kind of begin to start interpreting those moments? Yeah, well, I think I think it is that recognizing the human nature of the Bible. We have a tendency to uh, really emphasize the divine inspiration of it, and and it is important, absolutely. Like God is certainly inspiring these authors and he's in these events they're they're witnessing and um there's definitely like that authority to the scripture but when we emphasize that you know we we lose out on the people who wrote this um we lose out on their creativity um their their human nature i mean we, we read the first first chapter of the bible and it tells us that god made humans to to work with him to um take what he's given and and run with it and so we know right off the bat about god's character is that he wants to work with humans he doesn't want to uh mind control them i always had this like vision of the bible as like (laughs) the guy sitting down writing it had like this holy spirit trance where like he's just right he doesn't even know what he's writing just god like overtook (laughs) him and i think a lot of people would we're probably like, yeah, I kind of have that caricature of it. Um, and we miss out on, on that, that part where these were people who were going through things and they were writing their experiences down. They were writing, the, read the Psalms. People were frustrated with God and they wrote that down and um, they interpreted what they saw. Hey, God did this and, 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 and here's what it means and here's what you know we saw come from it. And um and so I think the humanness of the Bible invites us into the the human struggle with mm-hmm. re- relating to and understanding God. I don't think it's trying to hide that. Um, and so I think when we get to those passages that are a little funky and um, take a little bit more work, we're in good company because that author is, is doing the same thing. You know, yeah. like if it was so easy to understand, they would have so easily given us the interpretation of it, yeah. you know, but they're, they're putting down their own like, uh, experience and confusion with it and, and their own wrestling with it. Uh, that's why you've got the prophets who, who, you know, are, are seeing God's vision and his hope for the world and his hope for Israel and his hope for his people. But they're also still so confused and still, God, when are you going to do this? When is this going to happen? Um, and so I think we're also invited into that same like, okay, like, what's this about, God? What, what, what are you doing here? And I think a lot of the ambiguity of the Bible um, is left for us to, to wrestle with. Um, we were talking this week, I teach a class on Genesis uh, with some people from our church. And we were going through the story of Cain and Abel. And we were asking this question of, hey, why, you know, why does God reject Cain's sacrifice and you know we were all coming up with these different theories and um and we stopped and we said okay now none of these theories are explicitly told we're never told why god rejects cain's offering well why might it be there well it might be there because that's a human experience of feeling like you've done the right things but god somehow doesn't seem to be pleased with it or hasn't blessed what you've done and you're frustrated. So maybe the ambiguity of this is to invite us into that feeling of, Oh man, this is sometimes I feel like I've done all the right things. And, Mm. and so a lot of those questions we wrestle with, isn't that we need to, Oh gosh, I need to know this right exact answer. It's actually a a part of our reading and understanding God is, yeah, is wrestling with it. Yep. 
Yeah, a good portion of the Psalms, or at least the first half, is lament and a lot of questioning. And um, it, it's really interesting how, uh, well, it, even just talking about the Psalms in the, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament isn't just law and prophet work. Yeah. Um, the Old Testament, multiple times, even in Psalms, brings us into the human experience where you're like, man, I've felt that before. Yeah. Um, you know, we've all been in seasons where it's like, God, what are you going to do? I don't see the end of this moment. Um, uh, and, and, and that's key. I want to go back a little bit to the idea of the human and, and the divine. One of the things that we see throughout scripture, even in Genesis is that God invites us to take part in what he's doing. And one of the beautiful things about Scripture is the fact that it has human elements. God used humans through inspiration, through his process, um, for us to hear his story. Um, But there seems to be the spectrum that if you talk to any given person, whether they were raised in church, whether they're going through faith deconstruction, whether they're a fundamentalist Christian, wherever it is, they seem to be on different ends of that spectrum. Whether whether the the extreme side is that you don't see a lot of the divine in the work of the mm. literature or scripture, yeah. or you only see the divine and and so and what what I've tend to find in those conversations are that the two camps on those two far extremes even though especially the fundamentalist side tends to think they have a high view of scripture in a sense it's a low view Mm -hmm. of what God actually does and how he works with people um speak a little bit to some of that and speak a little bit to maybe interactions, whether it's being raised in church or you go into college, maybe some of the different um, conceptions and maybe misconceptions of, um, of, of the divine with the human side. I know there's a lot of doctrinal lingo we can yeah. use around inerrancy or this, that, mm. or the other, but talk baseline about st- what each one of those people on the spectrum might perceive that the Bible is. Yeah. Well, I'll start with kind of the, we're kind of labeling like the fundamental, the, the Bible is divinely inspired, which is true, but, um, it's almost dictated. Yeah. Yeah. Dictate the, the Holy spirit trance idea, um, or, uh, the, the golden tablets drop from heaven. Here's the Bible, um, perfectly, you know, written, no mistakes, just right there. Um, and, you know, going to school, I, you know, we learned, a, I learned a lot about, you know, the divine inspiration. So, you know, the, the emphasis on the, the scriptures, you know, all authority or all scriptures got breathed and, um, and, and there's, there's importance to that. Um, but you, you, you're right. You do almost lose actually a, a sense of God's sovereignty mm-hmm. when you overemphasize the, like this is what God said. This is what he put here. This is what it means. Nothing's changed. Nothing's been edited. Nothing. It's, it's perfect. You know, um, I I think you actually like lose a sense of God's capability to work through people. Um, you know, when he, when you start to read like the history of the Bible coming together, cause I kind of grew up where the Bible was viewed in in that sense, like the the golden tablet view of it. Mm -hmm. Um, where sometimes the authors were barely mentioned, you know, except the exception of like 
Paul writing it mm-hmm. or yep. um, and there was never a conversation of like hey like this might have been compiled together and we don't know if David actually wrote that or eh, Genesis might not have been written by Moses you know those were never conversations yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about um, and so when I started hearing those you know as I was in you know, I went to a pretty conservative uh, program for my master's degree in theology uh, but even those conversations were happening in a very conservative school of, of hey, you know, there's possibility that Genesis was written by, you know, these four different documents and someone compiled them together. There was a moment where that was like, oh, wait, that that kind of takes away from what God's doing. Like, you mean humans were doing this? You yeah, mean yeah. like <laughs> there was, you know, Moses didn't sit down and write this whole thing out like other, you know, and it it freaks some people out and they start to doubt the divinity or the inspiration behind the Bible. But as I process it through it, it actually became a love of mine to read about the history of the Bible coming together because you almost, you honestly, I think you see more of God's sovereignty, if you will, mm-hmm. and his direction in it, that he would work through those things. I mean, you read in, you know, one of my favorite things to point to is you read in Jeremiah, uh, he's, you know, he has a, um, I can't remember the name, guy's name off the top of my head. Um, who's his scribe? Who's writing all this down? And then it gets burned up. Like he, like, oh, and it got burned up. And then, you know, we start writing it again, and many things were added to it. And you're like, wait, what? Like, <laughs> what changed? You know? Or yep. you mean to tell me like what Jeremiah had written was burned up? Like God's word was burned up, and they had to start over, and they might have added things and changed things, and um, and I, and I actually think that makes it beautiful like God is working he's working through hey it got burned up oh start over you know like it's okay um or you have things where where we're translating it and we're saying yeah I don't really know what that word means or I mean if you read even in your bibles you'll see that note there of like we don't know what this word means or this got added or we're pretty sure this wasn't there and you're like wait what's going on but I honestly think that's a better view of of God's yeah. sovereignty. So it's yeah. What, what is that? Uh, John eight. You know, when yeah. the, the women who's or the woman who's caught in adultery and cast at Jesus's feet. That whole deal that everybody preaches is this beautiful deal of God's grace. Is he who is without sin? You know, cast a first stone. Like if you read the footnotes in your Bible, that might not have actually yeah. happened because it's not in every manuscript. It's same thing with I think Mark sixteen. Um, and we just have to we just have to trust that the authority on Scripture is the Holy Spirit, who mm. is God. Yeah. Um, we have to trust that the authority is God. I, I, it's, it's kind of fun. Uh, on my blog, I wrote um, a, a blog post. I'll, I'll put in the footnotes. I'll put yours, too, on the humanness of the yeah. authors. I love that post you posted. Um, but I, I, I wrote that Jesus and the Bible are not the same thing because yeah. we tend to cross the whole... Um, uh, the word logos, which points to the knowledge of God that John says Jesus is, he calls him the word. We tend to, because John calls Jesus the word, we tend to equate, because we now call the Bible the word, yeah. we tend to equate them as the same thing and hold hold them up at the same level. We know the, what the Bible does is what Jesus says. Um, he says, you know, you search the scripture because you think that in them you will find eternal life. But those same scriptures point to me. Yeah. And so what we need to start with the idea is that God is the one who holds authority. 
And he's the one who breathed scripture and used humans. And um, But scripture only has authority because of God, not in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and... And I, I think that I think that that wrestle and that tension, because we we are so understanding. I don't want to say conditioned because that sounds negative, but we do understand the flaws of our human nature. Every one of us does. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that God would use the flaws of humans in order to accomplish His plan, in order for Him to write scripture in order for the gospel to move forward, all those things, it scares us to death. And so we like to play it safe when we approach the conversation about what the Bible is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I guess I would ask too is, because you kind of got into a little bit of, of Jesus and scripture and how they're related, but maybe, maybe speak on how how we as Christ followers understand, especially the Old Testament, understand our scriptures and read them in light mm. of or because of Jesus. Because he says, you know, there's that, like you said, the you search through scriptures because you think they po- give you eternal life, but yep, yep, yep. point to me or, or Jesus on the road to Emmaus and, and he has that Bible study we all wish we could have had with Jesus where he goes yep. through the whole, whole Old Testament yep. and says, this everything's pointing to me and and I think, you know, sometimes we read that and like, oh, yeah, because there's like that Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, well, he said the whole thing, you know, yeah. like Leviticus. And so maybe speaking to how Jesus changes the way we read it. Yeah, this could almost be an episode in yeah. itself. Um, but what I, what I would say is that it, it, zooming up to 30,000 foot level um, and with we still are having the conversation that the Bible is narrative. It's one and continual story. What I would say the theme in that is that God desires to dwell with his people. So, I mean, we see that in Genesis, the garden. We see that in all of the conversation through Genesis of Enoch walking with God and God telling um, Noah, you know, walk with me. And and same thing with Abraham. He says, walk righteous. You know, it's all, all these conversations around dwelling with God. God has this desire to dwell with his people. So when we enter language around God forming his people in Exodus, um, so he says, you know, uh, thus saith the Lord, Pharaoh, let my people go so that they may learn learn to worship me in the wilderness. Um, God has his desire to form his people and for him to be at the center. So all of a sudden the tabernacle shows up and what we see playing out specifically in those passages is the way in which God says, hey, I want to dwell with you and this is what I desire in order for this to happen. All these things are foreshadows or if you look back to, you could call it looking back into the shadows of what Jesus will fulfill, accomplish, and I'll even because it's a story, I'll even go as far to say of be a part of. So when we look at the Old Testament, Jesus, what his his work, who he is, what he's done, what the cross is, what his atonement accomplished is in the line of what all the other covenantial promises and stories lead us towards. Um, and so I would say that the Bible and the Old Testament especially is foreshadowing 
the grace, the the in the midst of of human nature, God desires to dwell. Yeah. God desires to be a part of what He's doing and what His people are doing, and that is the story that I believe that the Old Testament tells and continues on telling into the New Testament yeah. through Jesus. Yeah, I think I think sometimes when we think about you know how does the Old Testament point to Jesus I think sometimes we you know we miss the forest for the trees we we look for those Isaiah 53 passages that mm. oh this is clear prophecy of Jesus you know and those are there but the, then you go read you know second chronicles and you're like okay where's that where is that yeah. specific thing and I think what what you're saying is well we've got to look at it as the big picture What's yeah that I would story? zoom up 30,000 yeah. feet to, it, it's narrative of God doing a work that he desires yeah, because I mean, you think about the, the Old Testament as this as a whole of, you know, God calling these people and uh, He's going to bless the world through them, and and you see them fail over and over and over again, and and the story, I mean, the story ends with, you know, they're they're back home, things don't feel exactly right, the temple doesn't feel the same, they're still in sin, you know, they're still under rule, and it just kind of. It's a cliffhanger, you know, yeah. and and I I think when we we get to Jesus, we get this like, oh, this is this is what they've been waiting for. Yeah. And rather than just like, what's those fun little like prophecies of this guy coming? And uh, but the, this or as or I think too also with the Old Testament, we almost think of it as like God's trial run, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. or like he this was his plan for a little bit it didn't pan out so well with Israel so I'm gonna say come up with something yeah to come up with a, a, I gotta come up with a new plan no, I guess I messed this up didn't, this yeah. didn't work but it's because I think sometimes we pair them against each other of like uh Israel didn't work out yep. you know or everything so, here was gonna you know the, oh the law oh man I thought that was gonna work and yeah. I'll, I'll send Jesus you know and we'll do it through grace instead of works <laughs> yeah well and then what we wind up doing is we wind up looking at the Old Testament as it's the only purpose for it is to show that hey there's a law and you suck mm, yeah and um and that's really not the overarching purpose of the Old Testament at all yeah I, I'd say speaking to that because we were having a conversation about this yep. like uh, sometimes kind of going back to does God work differently in the old and the new or um, is the Old Testament about following rules and then Jesus shows up and things are different? Kind of, maybe speaking to like our misunderstanding with that and how to best understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, what we need to realize is that there is identity as God sets up his people Israel in the Old Testament. But we see as far back as Genesis 12 of saying, hey, you're, by you all nations, the whole entire world will be blessed. So God's desire isn't just like, hey, I'm going to create my people. We're going to hunker down. We're going to have our own personal, uh, we, we would use the term boundary markers. That's kind of the, the term we use. But uh, identity markers that no one else could have. I mean, we see that tension right now in Israel where it's like, these are the boundary markers of God's people. That's not how God desired his people to function. God's 
desired his people to function for the entire world. Mm-hmm. And so we don't see that like, oh, well, they messed up morally in the Old Testament. So not only did God have to find a way, but then he just decided to graft the rest of the world into it. Mm-hmm. No, God's desire actually was for the whole world, all nations. And that com- that comes to flourishing in Jesus. And so when Jesus says, go into all nations, you know, uh, at the end of Matthew, basically what he's doing is it's, it's the same sort of call that he's giving to Abraham as he's calling Abraham. It's nothing different other than the fact that Jesus is. And, and so when we, when we look back at the Old Testament, we're like, whoa, like that Levitical law is kind of extreme. Whoa, <laughs> that's kind of extreme. We don't look at it and just say like, oh, you know, those things are being thrown out. We look at those things and we say, oh, there, those, there was a purpose there of God creating an identity for his people, but his whole people were there to bless all the nations. And so now through Jesus, who is a representative of Israel, all nations can be blessed. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think too, I think there's a way we, we look at uh, the laws of the Old Testament mm-hmm. and we say, that the, the Israelites were, you know, they were there set up to try and do this impossible task, you know, 613 laws they were supposed to do. And, and it was, you know, they, they were trying to do, we put it like they were trying to do religion or uh, they thought by doing good works, they would be saved. And then we get to the New Testament and Jesus shows up and he's telling them, no, that's not how it is. And that's awesome. That's probably a way we frame the Old Testament, you know, and I, I would say we're, we're missing out on really what the Old Testament was about. What yeah. God, God, not gracious in the Old Testament, suddenly gracious in the New Testament. He's gracious from the beginning that he's going to work through these people. And yeah. um, as you said, the, the law was set up to move them in a direction of people yeah. that would bless the world. And yes, as you know, Paul says it in Romans, the law is there to, to, to show the sin, but um, it wasn't set up as this fulfill these things. And then you'll be right with me. And oh, they couldn't do that. So let's send Jesus. Yeah. Well, he, we see, we see God. I'll go as far as say God already knew that it wouldn't play out perfectly. Yeah. So we see him setting up like even as far back as the 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 covenant with Abraham when it's him instead of Abraham who passes through mm, yeah. the animal to basically say no this is on me um what god allows is that in the midst of their screw up he allows them access into worship at the temple through atonement mm, yeah that's that's God already knowing that they're not going to do with it and offering them still the ability to worship yeah. a perfect God. That's that's a beautiful, gracious act of God back that we see back before Jesus. Mm. Yeah. So um, before we close out, I'll just say la- last question, last question. Um, and this goes to understanding a little bit about this is the mechanism and and how how scripture was compiled. Explain to me a little bit about how the Old Testament was compiled um, as a whole and when it like the canon was closed. Hmm. 
and then and then talk a little bit about the New Testament, how that was compiled, and when that was closed. Okay, this could be sixteen podcasts on their own, but Quick, yeah, just quickly. so we understand, it wasn't all at once, and there's yeah. a process of multiple years. Yeah, for sure. So, so yes, it's it's. The Old Testament, you know, because it's older, it's a little harder to to trace. But you know, but to just kind of think of it big picture, you you have all these different books, and um, we tend to think of them all being someone sat down, wrote these out, and then like attached it to the next thing. But these were floating around as as different scrolls, and so no one really had like, oh, here's the the Old Testament. Let me just hand it to you. It was like everything was broken up into, you know, here's the Isaiah scroll, here's, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah, and um, those things kind of got compiled together. But even before that, you have like oral tradition. So thinking about the first five books of the Bible, you know, uh, the the Torah, you know, these were were words and, and stories and, and ideas that were passed down. And there's things that were written, you know, Genesis and excuse me, Exodus will say, you know, and God told Moses, write this thing down. Yeah, and yeah. so, you're like, okay, so, so Moses was contributing in some way. Um, but the Old Testament is you have these pieces of oral tradition that someone was taking and maybe some written things that were, that were written down and they took that and compiled it together and worked it together. It, it's, you know, just from a literary standpoint, it's, it's really hard to argue against that when you read Genesis, you know, you first two chapters you get essentially two different creation yep, stories yep. so two different orders, some two guy different, yep. come up with that or he's probably taking hey this is one view of it this is another this is another way to understand what god was doing another way god was doing it putting those together and then you have things like the book of psalms you know we we attribute it these are works of david well no some of them probably you know but but there are ones that are attributed to other people and um and so those are things that have been passed down. And even in the book of Psalms, there's one that's attributed to, to Moses. Um, and so those, there might be ones that are older and newer and they're, and they're put together. Um, so the, the Old Testament is really like it's, it had been changed. It had been um, edited. I know those are words that kind of freak us out when we think about the Bible. <laughs> but but it's, it's true. You know, you read Genesis and um, you have people, groups who are mentioned that would not have been around or would not have been called what they were called at at the time of Genesis, if you will. So someone's been editing these things so that they're relevant to their audience so that they, Oh, that's who that person was updating places. Um, And those are the things that are there and that's, that's okay. Like the whole hinge of our faith in Jesus does not lay on the fact that someone changed the name of a people group, you know? Um, but it's there to give it clarity. And so you have all these things you've got, you know, you got the prophets and, and, you know, there were people who were probably writing down their own words. I mean, Jeremiah wasn't writing these, someone else was writing it for him. He tells us that, um, you've got Isaiah who it's pretty clear that the first half of the book might've been written by him or someone who was very close to him. And the other half was probably his followers compiling those words together. And I don't think there's a problem with that. These are yeah. still things that, that Jesus looked back on and quotes, or, or the gospel writer quotes these yep, things yep, from yep. Isaiah that Isaiah himself probably didn't write. Um, and so the, the Old Testament um, canon, if you will, um, 
I think sometimes we picture like these guys sat in a dark room and said, all right, that book is in, that book is out. But it kind of formed organically. Uh Um, You just had people taking these things and quoting them and and seeing authority in them. And and they were the things that circled around the most. They're the things that we have uh, the most material from. And, uh, you know, we can also go into our New Testament and the way that Jesus quotes from the Torah, quotes from the Psalms, quotes the prophets to say, okay, Jesus saw these as authoritative and divinely inspired. um, So we can too. And so the Old Testament, it's, we we want to think that someone wrote this all down or um, in one sitting and and this was just one big book and that some people sat around and said, this is in, this is out because, but really it it kind of formed organically over, over time. And, New Testament's pretty similar too. You know, you've got um, you've got the Gospels, and and you know, there's debates on ones like the Gospel of Thomas. Why isn't that in there? Is the church trying to hide something? Well, it it didn't circle around as much. You know, there's a reason why it, it took us so long to find it, and 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 a reason why it, it wasn't as popular is the church was like, oh, that's that's not really what happened. And so yeah. you have again uh, Luke who tells us, you know, in the very beginning of his, of his gospel, you know, telling Theopolis that I sat down and I, and I found these documents and I heard other people's stories and I've gathered them together. And it wasn't that, that, um, you know, Luke is writing this all down, falling around Jesus. He's taking, you know, other documents and putting it together and, and being a historian. And, and, you see that with the Gospels. You see the letters. You know, these were things that circulated with the church. And, you know, you probably had one church who got it. And then someone wrote it down and sent it out again. And um, it sent it to another church. And they just spread and spread and spread. And we had so many of these. And, and they, again, it kind of formed organically. You, you do kind of have a council that gets together, you know, a couple hundred years after, you know, the, the first fathers of Christianity and kind of decide, hey, this should we think this should be in here, this yeah. shouldn't. Um, One of the misconceptions of that, though, is that a lot of people think, oh, the canon was finalized when that happened. But a lot of people miss that because of the the documents circulating and the, the, the ones that were, I guess you could say, more common that they were using as authority, some people um, considered the canon closed as far back as like 170. Yeah. Because these these documents were seen as authoritative, and multiple church communities had them. Yeah, yeah. You could, I think you and you just see the the mass supply of them. You know, the the we have. You know, I've heard one scholar say we we have too much Bible. You know, we we almost have too many manuscripts of. Uh, documents from the New Testament that it's almost it's almost harder to put it together because we have so much of it um, and and maybe you've seen those charts where it compares you know what we have for the New Testament compared to like the Odyssey yep, yep. Um, and it's absolutely insane how many yep. we have and so it just shows you like they saw these letters as important and they were circulating them around and, and giving them people saying this you need to hear this this is you know this is God's word you, you need to know it um, so yeah, you you do see a kind of organic forming of the Bible rather than some yep. guy in a room being like, all right, well, here, let me write it out. <laughs> so what you were talking about with the Old Testament, and this will be kind of the last uh, last deal here, but I we we notice if you look like things like Romans fifteen or Luke four, the practices of both Jesus and Paul are actually 
quoting the Old Testament, but they're they're playing with it a little bit. Like mm. they're 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 leaving out a line or two in order to help them communicate what they're trying to communicate in that moment. And um, we tend to to miss that if we don't understand. Like, oh my gosh, that's what he's doing right now. Like. Uh, Jesus, and I think it's Luke 4, he leaves out all of the violent language yeah. that the Old Testament author, we talked about it being humanly written and written, you know, and it's sometimes we wrestle with the violence. Jesus quotes him, but he leaves out all the violent language. Yeah. Same thing with Paul in, uh, in, in Romans 15. He, he quotes the Old Testament, but he leaves out all of the violent language in yeah. it. And so that was a common practice for them to verbally play with scripture in order for them to communicate the truth that they're trying to communicate. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think the um the thing we can rest in too is that these New Testament followers of Jesus are wrestling with the Old Testament. They're not um you know, it's not cut clean and dry for them. It's you know, it's something they're wrestling with Paul, one of my favorite instances is in Ephesians 4, when Paul literally changes the words of a psalm, like yeah. changes them very, very obviously to fit Jesus. And we may think, oh man, Paul's just playing fast and loose with the Old Testament. But he sees what Jesus has done is so important. And he has fulfilled this so well that he's going to go back in his Old Testament and 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 make sure that 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 what's being said there is wrapped around Jesus. Yeah. Um, and I, I think we're, we're doing that too, you know, and um, you, the new Testament authors are wrestling with this as well as what is the old Testament and how does it relate to Jesus and how do we see him in it? And um, they're going through those same things that, that we have to do with the old yeah. Testament. So practically speaking, as we, as we, look at scripture if you're in your living room or your car or wherever you're at and you're like man how do I approach scripture um, I want to encourage you to start asking questions at a higher level than just you know what is this telling me to do what's the practical ask start asking questions what does it say about God what does it say about him and his story what what has he done in this that is beautiful I know that that doesn't quite get down to the practical level of you know, how can I obey this and live this out today? Yeah. But I promise you that over time, as your understanding of him changes and expands, the way you see the world changes, and then you just automatically, practically function because you're being formed differently according to, to, to who he is. Do you have anything else to say? Yeah, I, specifically the Old Testament, I think a couple things, if if, if you want to pick it up and, and try to take what we've been saying, First, I would say read things in bigger chunks. I think we think the only way to read our Bible is one chapter, you know, what's that one thing for me, and then you wake up, read the next chapter. Um, I would say, you know, spend time reading larger chunks of Scripture, um, because then then you see the story of it. You know, like, you're not going to go home and pick up, you know, Lord of the Rings and read one page of it and be like all right see it go back to it tomorrow you know you're gonna you're gonna consume it in large chunks because it's a story and so i think if we could start doing that with our bibles more often rather than the the one chapter the one passage or the one versed uh devotion aspect of it i think um we would start to train our minds to see it as a narrative and to see it as a big story um and i think we would see that transformation that a story offers 
um, more than just the devotional aspect. Not mm-hmm. to say that's bad, but um, when that's all we do, I think we've created a problem. And so I think that kind of lends into, okay, so I'm going to read I'm going to read this book. Uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to read all of Genesis or I'm going to read, you know, Genesis 1 through 11, you know, a, a big picture of it. And rather than, you know, just being like, okay, what was that one verse speaking to me about or how can I practically live out? You're not really going to, you know, that's going to be a little hard in Genesis yeah. 1 through 11, but you know, you're reading it as a story and and you're like, "Oh man, like I'm seeing how messed up humans are, but how God continually is working through it or I'm man I'm seeing this the beauty of being created in God's image and and maybe you're not going to f- find a specific application for the day but but just as a story moves in us and starts to transform the way we relate to God the people around us I I, I think that's the way that the reading the Bible can offer us um, I think too the other thing that reading it in big chunks uh, allows us to do um, allows us to see it in context so I think if you're going to go and you're going to read the Old Testament is always asking yourself, what's the bigger picture of what's happening here? Um, there's great resources out there to, to help you with that. But, um, you know, I think of, you know, reading the story of Gideon, you know, let's say you wake up, you read the story of Gideon with the fleece and, mm-hmm. and you just read that one section and you're like, okay, so today, how am I going to, you know, test God to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. show me, you know, the answer? Well, that's not the point of the story of Gideon. The point of the story of Gideon if you see the whole book of, of Judges is, oh my gosh, these people cannot trust God. And mm-hmm. and God's going to work through them even though they're a bunch of clowns, you know? Yeah. And and we kind of heroize Gideon of like, ah, you know, he he put God to the test, and but, you know, he still had faith. Well, if you read it, there are so many times God told them what he was going to do and so many opportunities and he still didn't listen. And it fits into this whole story of, of people doing that and and God still working through these pretty messed up people. And so I think we start to see the story differently when we read it in context. So, um, And then, yeah, always going back to Jesus. Yep. Um, always saying, how does this match up with Jesus? Is Scrip- there something that's conflicted with him that I need to wrestle with? Scripture never pins itself up against Jesus. We tend to read it, especially some parts like they're in conflict. It never does, and it's never meant to be. So uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, I'm going to put a couple blog post links in the notes to this show to a couple posts that we've written about the Bible and uh, maybe about some other things that maybe could help you dig into this a little bit more. Maybe you're wrestling with some of the things that were said. (laughs) I know I would be um, if they were the first time I've heard them. Um, But, uh, man, really really dig into this because Scripture is a beautiful thing, and and we we love studying it, we love talking about it. And uh, let us know if you have any other questions as well. See you guys. Thanks for listening today. Blog posts that are relevant to today's conversation will be posted in the show notes. You could carry on with this conversation at www.idoubtit.online. Thanks again.